So welcome to a Cubless postseason edition <laughs> of the Decipio Cubs podcast. Is it a Decipio Cubs podcast when the Cubs aren't playing? I guess it is. I don't know what else it could be. Yeah. We, it's not like we don't have things to talk about, though. No, so, that uh, is for sure. Uh, joining me, uh, as always now, you're the only one. You're the only <laughs> one who ever joins me anymore. I uh, guess that says more about me than it does about the other guests of this podcast. <laughs> and it's nothing good, but I'm still happy to be here. So welcome, Sam. You want to give the folks all of your deets? <laughs> well, thank you so much. Uh, it's perfectly timed as we are on the eve of hockey season, which is my main day job. Um, you can find me at faxesfromuncledale.com. My Twitter feed is at Fellsgate. And uh, we, we cover all of Chicago sports, minus the Bulls at the moment, but really, who cares? And uh, that's where you can find my stuff. But and, uh, I write about I write about baseball during baseball season. We'll have a lot of off season stuff. So that's what leads me here. And boy, do we have a full menu tonight! Yes. Before we get started, I want to plug something. Please. Not only the Disubio Bear podcast, which I'm recording later tonight, and we'll launch from London. Actually, you yes. are you, after this podcast. Yes, you I'm are getting on the, over. Getting on the Concord. Is that still a thing? It crashed. It is once, not. Right? It is not. They retired the Concord. Okay, well, that's but, too bad. Uh, so then the tickets I bought are bullshit. So that <laughs> yes, sucks. Yes. I'm getting in a Chrysler Concord, and I'm going to try they... to I'm going to try to drive <laughs> to London. So <laughs> Were they printed on the same graham crackers that Homer Simpson bought his Super Bowl tickets on? But also, very exciting, speaking sort of of the Bulls, like you just were, Oh yeah. Um, sometime next week, my old friend Kelly Dwyer and I are going to do a uh, kind of an NBA, special one-off NBA podcast. So uh, busy, people, busy. People can listen for that, yeah. So uh, if, you get a, if you get a chance, if you don't, uh, if you subscribe, we'll give all the details what Kelly's really on, but if you subscribe to his blog, you also get his little six, seven minute podcasts that he does with each one, which are absolutely hysterical. So it'll be fun. Oh, is he one of the ones doing them like every day? He's well, he's been doing them every day. He's been previewing a different NBA team doing, oh, okay. one, doing one or two a day. Usually I think he does them a couple of times a week. Gotcha. And he takes a much different approach to them than pretty much anybody else. They're pretty good. All right. So since we last met, the thing that, the worst kept secret in baseball for a year finally happened. <laughs> uh, Joe Madden was was not fired because he didn't have a contract next year for them to take away from him, but he also yeah. was fired because he clearly wanted to stay and he was told he could not stay. And I think that yeah. basically means you got fired. It but, wasn't. It's the equivalent of he wasn't thrown out of the bar. But he was definitely be- stopped getting served. Yes, it was like so. It's not a, a, a collar and belt ejection, so much as you can't drink here anymore. Yeah, yeah. Theo said you don't have to go home, but you, <laughs> but can't, you can't stay, stay here. here. Much to the chagrin of Benny's, who yes, I would ima- imagine he was their best customer. <laughs> yeah, who else is going to recklessly drive a Segway around a Benny's? <laughs> Well, I don't think you want the answer to that because I'm betting there are a lot of candidates. It's just probably not ones they want. Well, I'm sure they could get Kyle Farnsworth. Yeah, that sounds about right. But he would. here's another one who would never lose. <laughs> That's absolutely true. So, um, 
you know, the news the news broke on, on Sunday morning and we kind of reacted to it on Monday. I mean, we all knew it was coming. I guess the fact that it we all knew it had been coming since last offseason. I couldn't I couldn't generate a whole lot of emotion about it because it's kind of just a foregone conclusion. Um, but the more I thought about it, it's yeah, he he's the best Cub manager of all time. He it is likely you and I will probably never see a more successful Cubs manager, sad to say. And yet it still feels like it's the right move. And when I, I wrote about this on, on Monday on, on my playground, you know, I, I can I can I, I we've spent a lot of time blaming ownership and blaming the front office rightly. Um, and he had a he, he had a lot of problems to work with and a lot of mistakes to overcome by other people. But at the end of the day, uh, for most of the season, the Cubs just played a looser, less focused, more error prone game of baseball than they ever had, and that's on him. And whether it was because the, all the players knew he was out of here, whether they had just stopped listening, some combination thereof, to me. Once that slide starts, it only goes one way. I don't think you get it back. Yeah, um, but don't you a, think? Don't you think we could have predicted that going into the season to some extent? Maybe not to the extent that it. But it, I think, <clears throat> given he, it's a young team, that most of them have not played for anybody but him. Mm-hmm. Um, there was going to be some kind of substitute teacher syndrome. Whereas we don't have to deal with this guy long term, so we can do whatever we want. And if they really thought they needed the change, they think they need now. They thought they needed last year. And I mean, there were six million reasons why they didn't let him go last season. <laughs> yes, and they might be the only six million. There might not have been a six million and one reason and first reason. Um, but. It's funny because we I'm as guilty of this as anybody. I've thought about this a lot. I one of the things that really appealed to me when the Cubs got Theo was A, obviously he he's he's a guy who knows what he's doing, but B this whole idea that here's a guy that will make the gutty, the gutsy, unpopular call. This is the guy who traded Nomar. And if he trade Nomar, he'll do anything. Right. Well, the more you think about even at the time, the context, the Nomar context, we we should have seen better than anybody because he got traded to the Cubs. They traded Nomar because Nomar's body was falling apart before their eyes. He had hurt his wrist the year before. He had a bad Achilles when they got him. So, yes, it was gutty simply from a he's super popular, but they traded, they made a series of trades so they could get a shortstop with who had four limbs that all worked at the same time. Yeah, who could play the position? Because you would think, you would think if, 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 if Theo was this cutthroat guy, then last year he, looks at Joe and says, look, I know this seems ridiculous. You've made the playoffs four years in a row. You just won 95 games, but I don't think you're the right guy anymore. So we're going to thank you for your service, give you a $6 million check and let you go. I, I, I thought all year, well, they must be keeping him because they want to keep him because he, but I don't know that that's, I don't know that the Theo really operates at the same ruthless no. level that I thought he did. And especially when you look at, the decisions they've made on so many of these young players where they clearly just wanted them to be good mm-hmm. against evidence to the contrary. They're like, Oh, but Albert's a great guy. And we draft him for a reason. I'm sure he'll figure it out. Even though everybody else around the league is like, that dude's never going to figure it out. Um, <laughs> 
maybe the one guy it worked on if if the especially the last two months of his season is accurate is Schwarber, a guy who they clearly didn't want to trade because they love him, mm-hmm. and that may have actually turned out to be right, but they probably might have kept him for the wrong reason and ended up with the right results. So it we talked last week about did they punt this season because they didn't spend the kind of money. Well, you could kind of put keeping Joe in that punt formation. If you really thought that you needed these, you know, we heard Theo was full meatball in the, in his postseason press conference last year. And he thought, Holy shit, big stuff's going to change. And nothing changed. Right. And this year he was conscious. He basically, he actually made comments at the end of the press conference. His guys were picking up their phones including that beautiful spangled one that I didn't know who's, what turns out it was Kelly Krull's. I thought it was Caps. Um, was, it a, was it a sparkly Jesus? <laughs> there, was no, there were a lot of sparkles. I don't know that Jesus was. Uh, okay. If it was a sparkly um, Jesus, we know it's Kelly Krull's. Well, Theo basically said that he, he was conscious of how he came off last year, so he was making sure not to, not to act that way this year. Basically, I felt the same way, but I didn't. I didn't act as mad this year. That's what I took. That's what I took from it when he finished up the press conference. It's like, well, what the hell did we just do for the last twelve months? Then? <laughs> well, there's a lot to unpack there, um, and I think the main problem with the Cubs right now is we can't. No one outside the organization is going to be able to tell you where the line of what Theo wants to do and what ownership will allow him to do is. So it may be that after last year, Theo went to the Ricketts and said, I want to let Madden go and I want to hire someone else. And they told him, well, that $6 million is going to come off the playing payroll. So now Theo has to make a choice. Well, do I need that $6 million? No, I'm not saying that's what happened, but you can't rule it out. There's a non-zero chance that happens. Or they said, that's fine. Who are you going to get to find to manage the team for free? Right. Yeah, right. Because here's your manager, Jerry Budget. It's $6 million this year. You, <laughs> Man, can, it, you can spread that $6 million out over as many people as you want, but I'm pretty sure you have to give it all to Joe. <laughs> now, it could be as well that Theo definitely meant to make some more changes to the team. And either A, was blindsided by what the payroll was going to be, or B, the moves weren't out there. Because you say, well, we want to get rid of these guys. Well, last year, the guys weren't worth anything. So, yeah, you can say we can move on from Albert O'Mora, but you're not going to get anything but other than a low-A lottery ticket for him at best. Right, and you're going to get less now. And you're going to get less now. But Schwarber, who had very little value last year, if you want to, has more value this year. He's still, which, it's which still limited. Me. It's still limited a little bit just by, and maybe there's smart teams out there who realize that, you know, he's functional in left field. He is. He'd and, be more functional as a DH. Um, yes. I don't want them to trade my dear Kyle. No, I don't either. either. But I, you're right. I, there is some trepidation that maybe that ends up being a move that makes more sense than others. And they end up doing it. Well, that's probably a discussion we'll get into later in this podcast is that, you know, I I think they have to treat this offseason, they have to tread this offseason very lightly because to do something for the sake of doing something is going to put them a step back from where they already are. But we'll get to that. 
Um, I think when you're talking about Theo, I think he he is aggressive, but he's awfully stubborn. And he should be. I think you have to be to be a GM. You know, when he made Schwarber, and hell, even when he made the Bryant pick, there were a lot of people out there like, no, you have to take a picture, or this guy is overslide or whatever, and he believes in himself. So it's per- the most likely answer is a combination of everything we've just talked about is that he wanted to fire the manager, probably couldn't. You throw in what the payroll restrictions were. You throw out what value the movable players had, what deals, what friends were out there. And it sort of comes back, well, we're, we kind of have to stick with this team. I can't make a trade just to make a trade. And uh, to get back to the original point when I mentioned the team playing looser, and he said, well, that was predictable when you get when you set your team manager up as a lame duck. I'm. It wasn't that it was unfair. But I would have thought the players themselves would have been holding each other or holding themselves a little more accountable than they did. Yeah. And I, th- um, I, I, I think, I think- I, that was what was surprising. Yeah, okay, maybe they tuned Madden out. But, you know, they still have to face down Lester and Rizzo in that clubhouse. And when they're playing just – that doesn't mean I think the Cubs weren't trying or, or, or lazy – you know, they just weren't locked in, and and someone is supposed to, you know, their, their kangaroo core, whatever they call it, is supposed to nip that in the bud, and that's on the players too. Um, now, I, you know, I, I'm obviously speaking on both sides out of my mouth. It, it's Madden's responsibility, and if his message isn't getting through, you got to get someone in there who is going to. But I bet before the season, they've made a bet that hey these guys could police themselves a bit because for the four years prior, okay, they had varying levels. The Cubs always played a clean brand. You know, they didn't make a lot of errors. The, the, the base paths thing, my goodness. Um, just the, just the bad decision that we hadn't seen that before. And it felt like they held themselves to that. And maybe the front office thought Madden didn't have as much to do with that as he clearly did. Uh, so that that's that's probably the most disappoint. I mean, there's a lot of disappointment, but that's like the most disappointing because that shouldn't happen. Like, yeah, I'm disappointed that Alfred Almora sucks, <laughs> but he sucks. Like, that's all he's. You know, I can't get mad at him for not being better than he is. He's a, he's not good. Yeah. So like, that's what he is. You know, right. he doesn't he doesn't suck because he doesn't play hard. He sucks because he sucks. <laughs> he sucks because he sucks. Um, um, no, and I think you're you you just talked about something that I think Theo on more than one occasion on one of his contractually obligated radio appearances, um, voiced frustration. And I think a lot of people took it to be frustration with Joe. And I think a lot of that was simply frustration with the team. The mm-hmm. same thing you just said, which was they've been, they've been good for four years now. It's up to them to keep that standard. The manager right. and the general manager can only do so much. Um, Given... Given the limited, as stupid as it sounds, the, the the somewhat limited resources, and I don't know that they have as much as I think we all think of John Lester as a Type A hard ass. Um, but I really think that he's all he. One of the reasons he really liked having Lackey around was Lackey really got to be the the big hard ass, and John just got to kind of you know enjoy watching Lackey do that. Right. Um. And Rizzo is he—he he has all the leadership qualities you expect, but I—I 
I maybe he did it more this year than he'd done it in the past. He'd always been really everything you read about. It, he'd always been very reluctant to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, to get in guys' faces and you know that's well, that's his job. Um, and I don't know that he has to be you know fucking Paul O'Neill in there or yeah. whatever. Um, but you know, I, I don't know. Did they ever, did they put like a captain C on his sleeve, like the Yankees do or whatever? I mean, that's what everyone calls him. You know, he's, he's, he's the voice in the room. Now I, I, I'm sort of with you with Lester. I get the impression he just kind of wants to do his own thing and be left alone. Um, but he still draws some water oh, yeah. in that clubhouse. Yeah. So. If he gets pissed enough and he lets somebody have it, they listen. I mean, there's, there's always that weird split with teams. Like, I think it's probably awkward for a pitcher to get on the everyday player's case and right. vice versa. They're, they're two different jobs. Yeah. You know, it's like salespeople getting on creative. <laughs> you know, like, or, you know, like it's not. Um, and, and boy, can you tell I come from an advertising family? Um, you know, it's, it's two different jobs, and, and that, there's probably, um, you know, a division there. So, yeah, you can't have John Lester getting on someone's case about base running or making errors. And what's John Lester going to do about Quintana and himself? They, it's not that they weren't trying. They were just bad. Yeah. You know, it's like you can't get in some guy's face and be better. Like, you, you pitch how you pitch. You know? So, um, and that's the other thing. You know, Lester was so unproductive. He's probably even less comfortable yeah. um, getting, you know, being, stepping out front because there's always that thing where it's like, well, what are you doing? Yeah. It's like, hey, Buddy, you know, right. why don't you go down to the bullpen work on your slider? And they're like, yeah, hey, why don't you go down there and work on your fucking throws to first? Well, now there's a little nugget. And I, I you know, you know me, my paranoia antenna is always up. But uh, the last series in St. Louis, someone made a joke, or Matt made a joke, and they kind of made an offhand joke about it to Theo, which was that Joe thought part of the reason the Cubs had such struggles on the road is they didn't go out drinking together. <laughs> and, you know, that's funny, and I would agree, but. <laughs> But then I was sort of like, well, wait, where does that come from? Did this team not like each other? Because they sort of played like they didn't like each other. And, you know, we don't hear about any big divisions in that clubhouse. They're so tight-lipped anyway, you probably wouldn't. And it certainly was never a problem in the previous four years. These guys were always having fun. But you and I have commented throughout the season that it seemed like they were having less fun. Now they're playing like dog yeah, shit. Yeah, it, so looks, it <laughs> looked like they didn't enjoy any of it for a long right. time. But even when they were winning, it didn't look like it didn't look like the same swagger we'd seen. I'm sort of wondering if this team has just stopped getting along. Well, that's a good way to put it too, because it's the the opposite of not or there's degrees. You could not like your teammates and get along with them and not hate them, right? But you just don't spend any extra time with them. Right. There's no bonding. You guys all show up. Um, you get your work in, you play a game, and then you all go your separate ways. Um, that's different than you all show up and bitch at each other and make passive aggressive comments and stuff. So people are like, oh no, they don't, you know, they don't hate each other. So well, you don't. That's not. There aren't. There aren't just two choices. There's right. not. <laughs> we like each other. We hate each other. And right. I would guess a lot of teams fall in that. In the middle. Right. But- I mean, there's no one big happy family. We know that. But like. It just seemed like I just thought I wondered if Joe was just commenting on like, yeah, my guys don't seem to hang out together as much as they used to and aren't getting along quite as well. Yeah, I mean, it's 
is it is do we think that the 2016 team was all buddies because when you win 103 games everything looks, everything it. looks like an awful lot of fun or <laughs> or was there really um i mean i guess we do know right they which game was it where they oh after um was it after Arietta's no hitter well they were gotten a plane and they flew somewhere they had a freaking pizza party in somebody in one of the guys suites i mean they and they talked about it. mostly they talked about it because David Ross, if you put a camera any, or a, a camera and a microphone anywhere near him, you know he's he was going to run to it and talk to you for twenty. He, minutes. he was right there for you, yeah. So I don't know. Maybe we just knew more. Maybe some of those guys that we thought, well, they're easy to replace because they're not very good, weren't as easy to replace because they did other things. Glue like, guys. Yeah. Maybe maybe Chris Coughlin really is. <laughs> Maybe that was the reason. Well, guy, I, can't, guy, I, mean, I, I mean, Dexter Fowler's been gone for three seasons, and we didn't think there was a problem the previous two. Um, David Ross has been gone for – well, he's never really gone, is he? He's always here. No, and I think he's about to be back in a big way. Uh, fine? I don't know. I'm not in on the interview. Maybe David Ross sees the game as a manager in the progressive way they want. Because to me, I think that's Theo's biggest complaint about Joe Madden was that as, as creative as he was off the field and, and he loved to hear himself talk and he certainly, well, he loved to hear himself talk. He didn't always have anything to say. And he definitely had a unique way of trying to keep the atmosphere loose. The way he actually managed a game was not all that creative. Uh, it certainly wasn't up with how GMs like to see the team manage now. Yeah, I, and I think that's the biggest complaint right there. So if the, David Ross does that, and they think that because he's David Ross, te- you know, the team will well, that can go one of two ways. But they think they will respond to him because they owe him that, or he commands that. Fine. My worry would be they're just going to walk all over him like they did Joe because he's their buddy. So we'll see. Yeah, I don't. I, Theo said two, two. Well, he said a lot of things. Two things in particular caught my ear. One was he said on more than one occasion that his focus was on building the next Cub Championship team. He, he said it maybe three times, which to, wouldn't be all that hard to do for next year. To me, I thought it was a him trying to reassure people that, um, yes, I know I'm probably going to leave after two years. <laughs> But I'm going to be thinking long term with all of my moves, even though I, a lesser man might not do that. Um, so I don't know if that was, I don't know if that was his intent. I, he doesn't say much that doesn't have intent behind it. Right, but he could be leaving that. To, he could be leaving that legacy for Jed, which would be bad. But he could, but he could be like he doesn't want to screw over a friend, possibly. Um. What so, was your other nugget? Well, the other thing he said was he made a comment to talking about what he's going to look for in a manager, and he said, "I'm not, we're not, I'm not looking to be any more involved than I have been in the way the games are run." And I took that to mean, I looked at it and said, "Okay, I think he's being a hundred percent honest," because what I think they did was I think him and the rest of the big brains upstairs made a lot of suggestions to Joe, and Joe took a lot of them and crumpled him up and left him in his office. <laughs> yeah. And well, I think the idea is they're going to make the same amount of suggestions to the new guy 
but they're going to pick somebody who they think is going to implement most of them. So in if he in a very narrow definition, he's right. They're not looking to have more input. They're expecting more of that input to actually become output. Yeah, there's a clear delineation delineation with them, which is a good thing, in that they put the team together and the team the manager manages it, and they will give the manager the information, and they will say, "Here's how we see the lineup and how we want this to be deployed. You go do your thing." And even when he was doing obviously dumb thing. I mean, if Theo had his way, he would have marched down there in game six of the World Series and been like, what the fuck are you doing? Yes. <laughs> like, you're fired now. Um, but he doesn't do that. He knows there needs to be that clear delineation, which is good. You want that. Because if, if your front office starts messing with your manager and vice versa, then you're the Mets. You don't want to be the Mets. Um, so I, I, I agree with you that. I don't think Theo will check out of this job at any point, even if he's leaving in three years, like with all the free agents. Um, Here's another thing that bothers me, and you get it from him and the press, when he says, well, we're going to try to sign Baez and Brian to extensions. Don't give me try. If you want to sign Chris Bryan to an extension, you hand him $35 million a year for seven years. It's pretty simple. Like, there's clearly a number out there that you can do that at. And Baez would come in at less, but it's like, well, we're going to try. Like, well, no, you know what the numbers are at this point. If Mike Trout makes $40 million a year and he's underpaid to do so, and Manny Machado and Bryce Harbour get 30, well, Chris Bryant's better than both of those guys. Yeah. So there, 30. Go to Scott Boer and say, here's 35 over seven years. What is, how does this do? You know, and then like like the, this idea that like it's destined that Brian's going to leave. He's not going to leave. You just have to offer him the most money. Yeah. And if you don't want to do that, then just say so. But then you're the White Sox. It's funny though, though the uh, the whole idea that Cub fans talking about oh Brian's going to leave. Brian's going to leave. It's it's the same thing that we hear from. We've heard from Cub fans forever. We saw it on freaking Twitter. The, the the need to bail out on something first. Right. You know, they, <laughs> yeah. they, they lose three games in a row in July. It's like, oh, this team can't make the playoffs. They suck data. Just get rid of everybody. It's, it's like, okay, what is the little part inside of you that you can only cope with a situation if you immediately declare it's the, the, the worst is going to happen. And so I'm just, I'm going to embrace that and publicly. And they would do it over and over. Of course, they ended up being right this year, but it took them a lot longer to get right than they thought they were going to. You could feel that, too. It's almost like them getting ready mm-hmm. for, he's gone. He's just going to leave. I'm already, I'm already prepared for it. Well, it's, but they it's, don't really, but they're just saying it. They're still well, going to be just as crushed if he actually leaves as, <laughs> as if they pretended all along they thought he was going to stay. It's this weird little thing. I'm sure every fan base does it to some extent. but I mean, it's, it's a Twitter thing, um, and it, I think Cubs fans are at the forefront of it. Um, but it's certainly not germane to them. But yeah, it's it's the I have to bail out first because somehow I won't be as hurt when it actually happens. And it's also well, I get to be right. Yeah, you know. And if it doesn't happen, if Brian ends up st- signing an extension in his years old career, I get to go. Well, I'm a, I'm delighted right. that it's, he's here. It's it's basic pop psychology. It's the <laughs> right. idea that you now get you now get to declare victory over either outcome. Right. 
you know, my favorite team sucked, but I said months ago they were going to suck, so I was right. My favorite, I said my favorite team was going to suck, but they won the World Series. I get to enjoy the World Series. Right. Because they're my favorite team. It's just weird. It's the Cub, that's the Cub fan equivalent of the very easy argument you can, you can get Cardinal fans to make about that Yadier Molina is a more valuable player than Mike Trout. Mm-hmm. Well, you, can, you, you don't even have to bait them into it. They are so eager to have it that the mere suggestion of it, they make complete fucking morons out of themselves by seriously arguing the, the inarguable. Right. And with all with things we can't quantify. Yeah. Um, I, I just want to say when, when he took his little stroll uh, out to yeah. Cole Hamels, that was some serious hold me back shit. Because <laughs> you notice he like stopped yeah. and waited for Contreras or whoever was catching to like get in the way. And then he started really yapping. Because like he got out there and it, it probably like, I mean, I don't know if Cole Hamels is that guy, but he's bigger than Yachty. Cole Hamels is a big guy. Yeah. He's like, oh, I could actually get my ass kicked out of here. And we really don't know anymore how big Yachty is because he wears actual pajamas yes. while he plays. I mean, there is room in those pants for at least one of the other Molina brothers, maybe both of them. He, he looks, he's very blousy. Yes, indeed. And I guess for, to, to, to uh, win the, or to settle the trout Yachty argument for all time, Ben Zobras never struck out Mike Trout. Yeah, he so certainly did. got that going for him, which is, um, well, and then, so the other, I mean, it's such a, I'm glad that Theo comes and sits for an hour and you can dissect this for days. So, you know, he points out that, that you know, the, the Cubs see the least amount of fastballs and, you, you know, it's the same discussion we've been having that they they strike out and they whiff too much. And I'm, I'm trying to get to the heart of this because at the end, when you total it all up, the Cubs score amongst the most runs in the league. They have one of the better on-base percentages, which I thought was the idea here. Yeah. So I'm trying to think what we're really talking about because, okay, Anthony Rizzo's a really good hitter. And, yeah, he, he's willing to change his approach. Chris Bryant, when healthy, which he hasn't been, is a really good hitter. Wilson Contreras is a really good hitter. Javi Baez... It's a really good hitter. Now Kyle Schwarber has had a really good year. What are we? Are we? Are we? Who is that aimed at? Is it aimed at Contreras and Baez that with two strikes and men on, they're not changing their approach? Because with Baez, we know that's not going to happen. It's just not. He's never done it. No. They never asked him to do it in the minors. They haven't asked him to do it. And he's productive. He's not, and he's pr- productive he's anyway. He's productive without doing it. So why mess with it? We know Rizzo does. Brian hasn't been healthy, so I feel like this is aimed at Wilson Contreras. And I don't know if that's fair or not, but it seems like they're preparing the ground for him to go. Um, depending on what offer they get. Yeah. Um, you know, and if they're aiming it at other players, well, those are the players you put there who sucked. If you're aiming this, well, Albert Elmore didn't do this with Ben on base. Well, he sucks. Right, I mean, you know, it, Addison Russell didn't do that. Well, he sucks. The the constant lament that the they don't have the right approach. If you keep changing hitting coaches, so right. you've got to change players now. But I don't think the hitting coach makes any difference. No, that's what I mean. But if it, the idea is okay, we got to change our approach. Right. It's it's clearly not the message. 
It's the people taking the message. So if you want to change it, you've proven now that you can't simply instruct it out of them because you've had three different guys over the last three years try and you get basically the same you say, if, if it's a problem, which he says it's a problem, I don't still have, hitting, you hitting still hitting have the same anywhere. problem. So the only way to right. fix it is probably the way most people could have told you you had to fix it three years ago is you got to change out some of the guys. That's how you fix it. But you, the have guys go, is, you have to go find players. If there's this mythical skill set that you think your guys don't have, you've got to go find somebody who has it then and supplement the ones you want to keep. If you don't, then you can be as mad as you want on October 1st every year, it, but it's not going to matter. It yeah. hasn't mattered for three years, and it's still not going to matter. Um, but see, I I just can't. It's hard for me to square that because, like, okay, so we're going to take let's this is let's take Wilson Contreras for an example. And I don't, I offhand, I don't know what his numbers are with men on base. But let's just say that's the guy they identify that they can get something for that they need, and they're going to move. So Wilson Contreras has a 900 OPS. He's a good hitter. Yeah. So you're going to swap him out, and maybe you swap him out for starting pitching or whatever, and you're going to replace him in the lineup with Victor Caratini or whatever, and you're going to find one other hitter. It's like, okay, well, we found this hitter. He makes a lot more contact, but he's got an 820 OPS. Yeah. Like, well, I'm, I'm really glad he's hitting the ball, but why do I care if it's making more outs? Yeah, because a, he's a catcher who's hitting the ball more often. And it's probably making two outs instead of one right. when he's doing it. I mean, is this team like a shit ton of sacrifice flies away? Like I don't that doesn't that doesn't add up. Um you know, I don't want to say it's a statistical oddity. They have issues. There are ways to get them out, but I would argue part of that is that Bryant's been hurt. And yes. the only time he looked like right. Chris Bryant, the second half of the season is when they shot him up full of cortisone. Yeah, and it, well that wore off. Right. And we knew it would wear off. Right. When he was healthy in April and May and the first part of June, he looked a lot like Chris Bryant. I mean, okay. You know, Ian Happ had that hole in his swing. Like, you can just throw it up in the zone. He ain't going to get to it. No. And he's not. The only way he fixes that is he stops swinging at it, and he can't seem to do that. Right. And even if he did stop swinging at it, it's in the zone. It's a strike. It's the old Bob Brenly off quoted. Um, Clint Eastwood, a man's got to know his limitations. Right. Ian App does not seem to recognize that limitation. You can't hit that pitch, and it's fine that you can't hit it because probably 60% of the time it's going to get called a ball. Right. So don't swing at it. I know it's Until easy, there's like two strikes. Much and then easier said it. than done. Yes, and then see if you can at least make contact. But, I mean, there are but plenty of just, guys who can't. You can get out above the zone. Everybody, the problem with ha- right. is every, you get them out in the zone. Every hitter's got portion of the plate they can't cover it's impossible to cover it all mm-hmm. the really good ones know not to chase there and the guys who end up being not as good are the ones who can't ever help themselves and right now ian is in the i can't help myself well and ian's the one who i just i have no idea what to make of because his numbers for the year actually look good yeah yeah especially the way he finished right as soon as they fell out of it he went crazy but then he was playing every day, so it was the problem that he just wasn't getting the at-bats because whoever they were putting in there wasn't doing any better. Right. Um, I mean, yeah, and where is his – if you decide he's productive now, where does he fit? Well – got to clear uh, somebody out to get him a spot. Well, oh, that, that's easy. It's Addison Russell. Um, you, 
Well, you, mean, can't, I, you can't give him Nico's spot. Well, no, but we talked about this, that unless Nico hits 800 in Mesa or something. Well, there's actually two. I mean, they're not going to, as much as much as I love the Lumberjack outfield, they're not going to do it. No, 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 they're not going to do so that. So there's actually two spots. There's second base and center field. Um, and and if, if Nico turns out to actually be ready next year, you've got two guys there, him and Hap, who can play second base or center field. Yeah, and so. I, I'm, even if they want to give Horner a month or two in Iowa, oh, I, I, I would actually be fine just letting Bodie and Hap kind of figure it out, you, you, piecing it together at second base until Horner's ready. Because, again, you have limited resources here, whether it's via trade or just money. Yeah. And honestly, I think Bodie and Hap can give you representative production from second base until Horner's there. And maybe that's all Horner's going to give you. So the only spot on the field they have really no answer for is center field. Right. Because you can't keep playing Hayward there. And, uh, and, and my fear, as we talk about offseason plans, which I'm sure we have plenty of time to do, um, my fear is that they're just going to try and force it. Like you can't, there's no one on the free agent market who, who you're going to sign to play center field. That's Cameron Maven. No. no, you know, like there's just nothing there. No, and Theo basically said that. Yeah, said there's a dearth at that position. There aren't enough good center fielders to go around. Period. So, so to me, so there's no extra one out there for somebody to get. Right. So to me, like, I don't know if they decide. Look, we can't. We can't just make up one. We can't conjure a center fielder out of nowhere. We're going to start the season with Hap there, and we're going to concentrate on improving our rotation and bullpen. And, you know, we'll see what comes up midseason. Uh, that's fine to me. I mean, you can't, like, you just can't force these things open. I don't, I'm trying to think of teams that are selling or going for the rebuild. I don't know, man, or trying to cut payroll. I mean, you know, I guess you could pry Jackie Bradley Jr. loose, but he can't hit. No. Um, they're not going to trade for Mookie Betts, which would be great. Yeah. But, like, um, so well, there you go, Chris Bryant from Mookie Betts. Well, isn't that just running in place? Yes. Then neither team can sign the guy that they right. So that they except, traded for. Except the Red Sox get two years, where the yeah, Cubs will only get, get one. one. Yeah. Um. But then you can play Betts and right at Hayward and Sons. Like, well, we're still getting the same thing in right defensively. Yeah, but the whatever they're if they have a um, if they have like if Cubs care wants to have a bowling night. You're in. Mookie, you're done. You're Mookie, in. Mookie's gonna make you a fortune. <laughs> Mookie's gonna make you a fortune. Mookie, Mookie already paid for himself. I mean, I would, I would listen to it if if they thought Mookie was gonna be easier to sign than Bryant. But I don't know why he would be. No, uh, he's gonna get more money. He's got ten win seasons on his resume, like multiple ones. So that's not happening. Um. You know, there's some arms they can trade for, and I, I think if they trade Contreras or Schwarber, it's it's only going to be for pitching. I don't know who that would be, but you, I don't know. There, there's always a starter to be pried loose, right? Um, so I don't know. We shall see. But uh, what was it? Uh, Bleacher Nation was uh, ruminating about Contreras for Syndergaard. Um, I don't know if the, I don't know if the Mets would do that, but I, I would I would you know that you'd have to listen to right. Yeah, it. I guess it will depend on what the if the Mets don't do anything with their manager, which I think they're gonna. Um, 
Noah's done with him. Yeah, he, <laughs> yes, does, yes. he does not. I think most of their team is yeah, done with everybody's, him. But he is the most vocal of the ones who are done with Mickey Calloway. <laughs> yeah. So he would uh, he would very he would he would be pushing himself out the door. So there's I guess that mm-hmm. that's why we can speculate there. Um, I don't know. I mean, you can take David Price off the Red Sox hands. I don't know. If you want to do that? You, no. You'd do that if Joe Madden were here, but he's not. So. Um, well, that's Joe. Joe can take him with to Anaheim. Yes, indeed. Uh, I mean, to me, like again, I, I I'm worried about the sauce. I mean, I don't of all the execs in town. Um, Theo is the one I would trust to not panic the most, because there's just nothing that there's not that much you can force here. And what they really need, they need another starter. They cannot. They cannot go into next year with Tyler Chatwood as a fifth starter when they already have two other fifth others fifth starters. They need to find another a, a, a rotation piece that slots in under there with Hendricks and and Darvish, and they need an arm or two in the pen. Yeah, I mean, basically, what they need to do is what they needed to do last year and didn't do it. Right. The problems are the same. It's just they're another year down the road. But if I said to you, okay, look, we're they're going to bolster the pen with two not great arms. They're not going top of the line here, and they don't have to. But they get two solid arms to go with, you know, a, a fully healthy Kimbrel and, and, and the Wicks and maybe Dwayne Underwood and Chatwood in the pen, who I like, and Alzali, who's going to be in the pen. And you got that. And there's going to be one more starter, a good starter, a solid number three starter, not a Cy Young candidate. I'd love it to be Garrett Cole, wouldn't we all? Um, and they're just going to kind of run the same lineup back. I would tell you that team still wins 95 games. Yeah. I mean, that's the, the, the problems aren't any different than last year. Right. And so the solutions are still, are still, the, the, are same. still the same. They just didn't, it just, it can't be Brad Brock and Xavier Cedeno. You know, yeah, no, they have to. And they, it can't be. Well, I guess it still will be Kendall Graveman. That can't be the only the yeah, guy. A, a guy yeah. two months off of Tommy John can't be your one. I and, don't they, and know. They, and they knew he wasn't. I mean, they got him. He was. This was his redshirt year. Right. But yes, he's never been good. He's never been good. So I don't get like okay, like I you know I I guess I'm part of it, and I don't want to make any enemies here, but there's this weird element, and maybe this is with all baseball fandoms and blogospheres now. But the only one I watch is with the Cubs, where the, where the all these guys, especially the ones who only follow the minor leagues and like don't even watch the yes. major league team, they get fascinated by these guys who are down there coming off injury. Like, oh, they'll have Kendall Grave. So what? Well, they were all upset when they got rid of Drew Smiley, right? Well, and the Cubs could have had Drew three other times this year because teams kept cutting him. They're like, <laughs> they're like, holy shit, this guy sucks. I mean, yes, it was the only. It was it was a very bad sign financially when they dumped him so that they could um, so they could pick up Hamill's option, but they also knew what we all saw, which was yeah he's we owe him money next year, but he's not we can't we're not gonna be able to use him <laughs> right so that was an easy that was an easy decision save seven million bucks and uh, get a guy we need keep you know keep a guy we need. But at the time, it's like whoa. I mean, we we saw we only saw the bad, right? So well, the other one that they couldn't stop yapping about was Holson. 
Yes. Like, oh, here's another guy coming off injury. Looks good. He gets up here and he blows. Yeah. <laughs> he sucks. And it was the whole. Oh, it's a great story. Well, you know what? The great stories were were for the Cubs pre 2015, when we had to amuse ourselves with. Right. Here's a poor guy that was the second pick in the in a loaded draft, and he's the only one who hasn't made it to the big leagues. And after all this is toil and trouble, he's going to make it up. That's great. But when you're in yeah. the middle of an actual playoff race. I don't need yeah. a feel-good story. I want to see them win games. I need an out. But yes, um, it's it's so easy for minor, for especially amateur minor league writers. They fall in love with all these guys. Right. They're all going to be awesome. It's like, well, they're not. Oh, I mean, the Cubs 90, brought the Cubs. Percent of them are going to be bad. The Cubs over a three-year period brought up a host of really talented guys, and most of them aren't that good. Because it's because baseball's really hard, baseball's and not really everybody's going to make it. That's why you need to take so many shots, because you're going to miss so often. Right. And sometimes, I mean, sometimes you think you've hit, and then two months later, you're like, "No, no, that guy sucks." Yeah, and 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 I mean, they have to like we said, pitching, pitching, pitching. They do have to like reshuffle the bench. Like, you can't have Addison Russell here; he's bad. So you gotta find someone who can play short, yep. who can give Javier Baez a rest from time to time. If that's Nico Horner, and you say, "Look, we can put him there once a week, we're not gonna die." Fine, but you have to, you have like, if it's, you know, Bodie and Hap, and maybe one other guy. You get, you get an extra bench player next year because all the rosters do is twenty six. Uh, Bodie Hap, you know, your back catcher, if that's Caratini or someone backing up Caratini, and one more guy. Okay, then then you can start to do that shuffle that made them so good, where you can move guys around because the guys you're bringing in who only played three or four times a week are still good. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I was thinking about this, so I, I I write about this a lot, and I bitch about, you know, well they've fallen behind the Dodgers and the Astros, and all that, but if the Cubs themselves, everyone's going to judge them simply on postseason appearances and accomplishments. Well, at the moment, they still have the same record as the Astros. Yeah. They, they have a better record than the Dodgers. Okay, they've been to one less World Series, but they've won one more. Um, now, I think the Astros are probably going to put that right <laughs> this year, but hell, the Astros could lose in a series to the A's or the Rays because the A's and Rays are very good teams. It's not that hard to lose three or five games to them. Yeah. Just because it's weird. Um, I, I, I wanted to ask you, though, what – not this year because the Cubs deserve everything they got this year. But so we say like, oh, they haven't won a hundred games like these teams. But if you put the Cubs in a division where everyone was tanking, like the Astros sometimes get, or the Dodgers got this year, you know they would win. They would their win totals would be inflated the same way. You know the Cubs don't get to beat up on an entire AL Central <laughs> like like the American League does. So, I mean, to me, that 95 wins last year is not exactly equal to what we saw the Astros or Yankees or Red Sox do. It's not that far away either. No, and it's a lot like, I mean, we kind of saw what they could do when the division blew, and that was 103 games in 2016. 103 games, right. Because the Brewers weren't good yet. The Pirates and Car- and the Pirates and Reds were both terrible, and the Cardinals were eh. And the Cubs racked up a shitload of wins. You know, there's an, I mean, three teams in the American League won 100 games. Right. So that shows you that 
there, there's a lot of easy wins. I mean, the Orioles alone are probably the reason that two of them won 100 well, games. Well, the, 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 just, and they, were, they only got like 90 with the Indians had like, what, 17 wins against the Tigers? Yeah. Um, see, I, I, I think to me, if the only thing that will really enrage me is if Cubs don't add a starter to slot in the middle there because we know they can't count on Jose Quintana to do anything other than just take the ball. Like, he could be good. We've seen him be good. He can be bad. We've seen him be bad. And that's, you can't even really count on Lester to take the ball because he's had two IL stints this year. Yeah. Uh, so it's like, okay, those guys are my bottom rotation. Here's the top. If Darvish does anything, he doesn't even have to be that good. But if he's anything close, like, okay, that's a number one starter, even if his ERA doesn't reflect it. When your strikeout-to-walk ratio is 15-1 to 1 or whatever <laughs> it was, you're probably a number one starter. Although he's 33, so you don't know how much longer can he do it. Um, like that's, that's the only thing that'll bother me is that, well, yeah. Part of the reason they need to add a real pitcher, not just a fifth starter is after next year, you've got at least two of those spots you have to fill. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you can't just, if you keep adding fifth starter types three years down the road, you look up and you, all you've got are fifth is starters. There's an old Hendricks and four fifth starters. It's like, oh, well, that plan didn't work. Yeah, yeah. No, no shit, that plan didn't work. But if they don't add another hitter, I mean, if they don't, if they don't only do anything but reshuffle the bench, that'd be fine with me. Um, but I don't know who that star is. I mean, they're going to – I feel like they're going to be great. The other thing I want, and this is just my thing, for my next manager is to use Chatwood and Alzali in a really creative way. Because you're going to have two guys here with great stuff yeah. who can throw two or three innings two or three times a week. And even if your bullpen's a little weak beside that, well, here's how you shield them. You don't use them that much. And I think what enraged me about Joe, and I think the front office felt the same way, is they had Chatwood, who had his ups and downs, but for the most part was pretty good. And when he's only throwing two or three innings, he's throwing 98. Yeah. And they're like, hey, wait a minute. Why don't we use this guy for multiple innings, even in close games? And then I don't have to throw Brad Brock out there yeah. as often. But Joe kept using him the old way, and that's like, that's my long guy. Right. I, and he would even talk about it after against times. Well, I had to save Chatwood because it was a one-run game in case we went extra innings. Well, why don't you just win the fucking game and then you don't have to then worry, you don't about, have to worry about it? Yeah, you don't have to worry about it. So uh, an interesting moment in, the, in Theo's press conference on Monday was when he talked about their, you know, and the, he acknowledged, he's acknowledged it before, it's not like he hides from it, but a big reason that they're in the situation they're in is their complete inability to draft and develop pitching. Well, and he talked and he talked about it, and then one of the writers in the room, who ironically not one of the other athletic guys, uh, instant messaged me on Twitter to say that it's that Theo had barely finished that sentence, and Jason McLeod left, turned and walked out of the, and walked out of the press conference. <laughs> it's like if you need any other evidence that, that dude evidence. that his promotion was simply you failed at this job. Here, go do this one. They said that was pretty eye-opening for everybody sitting there, like you know, because everybody started to kind of look like, "Hmm, I wonder mm. who he's talking about." And the guy he was talking about turned and left. And left. Well, the one pitcher they claimed to have is Azali, who has nothing to prove at AAA other than he can stay healthy for more than seven minutes. Yes. So he's not going to throw more than a hundred innings. So you can't start him. Yep. You're going to have two guys here, you know, assuming Azali can stay in one piece, who can do something creative out of the bullpen, and I want. I want to see that. 
because that's how bullpens are now. You have a couple guys that you don't, you know, you don't just line them up sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth anymore. You 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 you, you kind of creatively try and find different ways to do it. Um, in theory, like the way the Brewers are, yeah, they have Hader who they use for multiple innings. They've also had Guerra all year who they use for multiple innings. And the Brewers have finished ahead of you twice, yeah. so they might find something. And the the Brewers at the, at the deadline made two moves that didn't wow anybody. Pomeranz. Well, we Pomer- opted for Derek Holland. Pomeranz, yes, and um, Jordan Lyles, who a guy who they'd had before, who had struggled elsewhere, and they're like, no, we can put him back in the role we had him in, and he'd be all right. And he was, he was all right. He wasn't great. He was all right. And Pomeranz, who they looked at and said, and everybody, I mean, the, the evidence was there for everyone to see, was t- terrible as a starter for the Giants. Awesome when they moved in the bull. He the, he literally had just torn through the Cubs, <laughs> right? Right before the trade deadline, it's like holy shit, that guy would be good. Yeah, and so and that's how the Brewers. That's how they did September. And to they, be fair, they tried not... to do, they tried to do it last night, and it and it almost it worked last night too. To be fair, it's not all that scientific to just pull a starter out of Pittsburgh and figure, oh, this guy will be good once we get him out of there. Because every starter who leaves Pittsburgh ends up being like a Cy Young candidate. But I think that's what the Cubs are going to have to do because there's no obvious trade candidate as a starter. They're going to have to find some guy who they think, hey, you know what, if we bring him in here and we get him to use this pitch more or we get him to approach hitters this way, he's going to be really good. Right, And, like, that, and, and, and that's, the, that's the single most defensible reason for – letting your Hall of Fame manager walk, which is the way he likes to manage is not the way we're, is not the way we need to win now. Mm-hmm. So we need to find a guy who will embrace the way we want to play. And so Theo can say all this stuff and actually kind of mean it about Joe's going to go somewhere else and Joe's going to be awesome and blah, blah, blah. But basically what he's saying is Joe's managing a 20th century game. And it worked up until, you know, 2016 for us. And we need somebody who's going to, you know, <clears throat> we need somebody who's going to approach it the way we think baseball is going to be played now. Mm-hmm. And our hipster, groovy, RV driving manager, who you would think would be the guy who would embrace that. Well, that's how he was billed. Right. It falls back on his 30 years of experience in the Angels system, which he talked about every four minutes. <laughs> and he's a good, I mean, obviously he's a, He's a he's a great manager. He's he did incredible things with the Rays and the Cubs, but yeah, it's it's a, it, um, it. The only way it's not going to be defensible that they just let him go is if they get a new guy and they still approach it the same way they've been approaching it. Then it's right. like, well, why the fuck? You might as well have kept Joe if you're going to you play this way. Joe. But if you change the way you're trying to play, then it makes sense to change the guy pulling all the strings. Yeah, no, it's 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 not all that different. Not to you know, always relate back to where I come from. It's all that different than when Joe Quinville was fired. And you can't sit there and say, well, now I had my issues with Quinville. God knows. But I can't sit here and say he's not a great coach. He's obviously a great coach, but at some point, it's like, it doesn't work here anymore. For the team we're going to build and the way we're going to play, we just need a new guy. And I think that's what the Cubs are doing. Like, we, Joe's a great manager. He's good in a very, he's perfect in a certain spot. We're not in that spot anymore. We're not gonna be in that spot. Let's find a guy who can, who who who's gonna do things the way we have to do things now. And I think that's that's fair. I think 
it's weird to say. I, I don't know that I believe this, but I think they might have some issue with some way some of their players from the system were handled. Uh, probably Ian Happ, top of the list. Um, Schwarber bouncing in and out of the leadoff spots and other. So they may think a manager who handles young players a different way uh, is something they want. But, I mean, that's strange when you're talking about a guy who turned Brian and Baez, you know, was here for Brian and Baez to become MVP candidates. Um, and Contreras, Contreras hell was close to an MVP candidate in 17 before he hurt his hamstring. Yeah. There's another problem you got to worry about if he's still around. Well, I mean, one of one of Joe's undeniable strengths is the the atmosphere that he creates is very conducive to young players feeling like they fit in, mm-hmm. and that's a big deal. I mean, there's no the Cubs don't do any of that stupid hard ass hazing shit with players. They don't do any of that stuff, um, and most teams don't anymore because you're constantly bringing up young players and you need them to produce right away. You can't, you know, and there, right. and there aren't as many, you know. There aren't as many Phil Nevins sitting around, you know, being assholes to everybody because somebody's going to steal their job. Ironically, he's he's coaching instead, um, <laughs> which I never understand. But um, but it could be that that obviously every every strength still has some kind of limitation, and just creating the atmosphere where the player is comfortable doesn't mean that everything you do with the young players works. You know, maybe for a guy like for guys like Chris Bryant, that's all you have to do. Yeah. You know, get him up here, get him comfortable, let the let his natural talent just take over and you leave him alone and you get an MVP, you get a, a rookie of the year his first year and MVP in second. That's great. Yeah. But for guys who need a little more, you know, they need some of those guys maybe need a little more structure than yeah, Joe actually I mean, provides. I that all sounds great and it all makes sense, but I, when I look at the case of Javi Baez, I don't know that Baez becomes this guy with anyone else. I don't think he does. Because Joe's like, no, I've really got spun things. I mean, he was he was talking about Baez in 2015 because I was down there in spring training. It was like Baez's, you know, spring training after he first came up and he had all those horrible strikeout problems. And even then, Joe was talking about all the gifts this guy had, and he got it pretty quickly that trying to chisel this guy's skill set down or limit him in any way was just not was not how this guy was going to be a great player, even if it took longer. And look what you have now. Um, So, you know, now here's the thing. You don't – the system's never going to produce another hobby bias. That that kind of skill and that kind of instinct, that's a generational thing. But they have to make sure that the next guy they bring in to manage – you know, knows how he can can see young players for what they are and brings out that instead of shaping them into preconceived cookie cutter shapes. Right, because there's no there's there's no fear that a manager is going to come in and try to change Javi now. Right, he's, no, he's established. Everybody, you know, everybody now sees the value of the way he plays. But you're right. You don't also want them inhibiting somebody who has some of those characteristics. And it's like, well, no, we let Javi do that because he's Javi. You're not Javi. Right. So do it this way. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, well, I'm kind of Javi. And I'm much better if I do it this way than that. We're like, no, tough. We don't want to do it. You're right. They, <laughs> yeah. There has to be somebody who, um, yeah. you know, sees what the player can do and lets the player, you know, figure it out. Right. Um, yeah, I just, 
it's been such a strange and frustrating year, and, and the frustration of it is not going to clear out um, for anybody anytime soon. Like it's going to be a couple weeks at least, probably till the playoffs are over. I just can't look at this roster and say, "Oh, this needs a total remaking." It just doesn't. It you know it needs some tweaks. It needs some bigger changes than it's needed before. But it's not like. You know, they can't just start dealing guys. And this idea, like, oh, they're going to look to shop Javi and Bryant. No, that's not what he said. It's not what he said at all. No. He said, like, we're, no one is untouchable. We will listen. And again, if the Red Sox say, we're going to give you Mookie eight plus this for Bryant. Right. You're going to have Mookie and you're going to have Raphael Devers. Right. Okay, then. I'm, yeah, I'm like, doing yeah, that. Yeah, we probably, need, we probably need to do that. <laughs> I'm pulling that trigger. Like. Yeah. Um, you know, I can't imagine what the package for Baez would be. Okay, Carlos Correa. The Astros call, and they're like, yeah, we can't afford Correa. We'll take the cost control of Baez. Like, okay, done. You know, fine. But those, those things aren't going to happen. So, No, it's – if you um, – if they if they fix – you know, well, could, the bullpen is in better shape is, – is in better shape than it was this time last year. It's funny because you. As but it still talking, needs work. As we've been talking, they flashed up a graphic during this A's Rays game of the teams, the ten teams with the most homers. All of them are in the playoffs except, the except Cubs. Cubs. Yep. So they do something right. Yes. Um, I mean, to me, the biggest problems with this team was the first half of the year the bullpen just cost you too many games, and then the last half of the year the starting rotation cost you too many games. Yep. And the bullpen that you had improved internally, basically, because God knows Kimbrell won it, um, you know, they couldn't cover for it. So those are the two pressing areas. And if you find a, a hitter in addition, great. But they need to – I mean, I don't know who that pitcher is. Okay? You you tell me. Um, but they need, they need a reliever or two and a starter, and then we'll go from there. Right. And it would be nice to have some kind of functional – bench for right for whoever, but that's only, whoever the new manager is we're so only talking about one or two hitters there because right. i think Hap and Bodie yep. are on your bench and those are good bench bats now maybe that's not the best spot for a young guy like um uh hap but it's kind of what he's proven he is at the moment and that's what Bodie is that's what Bodie signed to be here so yeah there's a start so i don't they he, they didn't want to put a timeline on the hiring of a manager, and there's no rush to do it. But no. the 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 things that we've already heard, I everything to me seems to be pointing to one guy. Yeah. The idea then that when they announced their internal candidates, they had thrown another guy onto the pile. We knew it was going to be. We knew. It's funny. I don't. I know he's internal, but it doesn't seem like David Ross ought to be lumped in the internal one. It's like, <laughs> but he ES, do we own ESPN? Is that is that how that works? I thought <laughs> I, I had a different. I thought you had a different TV network. Um, so anyway. him and and Mark Loretta, the elect right. the electric Mark Loretta, and Will Venable, which just leads me to think. Okay, now there's there those those three guys. Sounds like they really are going to see if Mark DeRosa is interested in coming in for an interview. And I think there are a lot of a lot of ladies that would be very pleased if they <laughs> hired Mark DeRosa and kept Tommy Hadovy and just pointed a camera at the dugout for most of the games. Maybe then the ratings would go up. 
Um, and then somebody else, and they may pay lip service and bring I, Joe Girardi and his big binder in just so they can uh, get people to stop bitching that they don't want to talk to Joe. But I can't imagine they really want to do that. If you wanted to hire Joe Girardi, there was no point in firing Joe Madden. No. It's the same thing. Yeah. Um, he's not going to listen to you about how you think the team should be deployed. He doesn't care. He's got his own binder. Um, I think what they're doing is they're allowing themselves room to be wowed in an interview. Yeah. And they want to. They want to hire David Ross, but they're going to bring in three or four other guys. And if one of them just knocks them on their ass, they're going to hire him. Well, and they also need to talk to more than one guy in case he decides, you know what? I kind of like my current setup. Right. Or I, I want the Phillies job or I want the, you know, whatever other jobs going to be out there. The, the one thing that keeps getting, it's funny, you know, if, if there was one podcast for brought to have returned for it would have been this one because the only time we ever hear from him these days is to bitch about the Cubs firing Joe Madden and to talk about how what a moron David Ross is and I I think it's only because Mike is the one person in the world I know who actually read Ross's book why would he do that and it like scarred him he bought it I think his mom bought it for him for Christmas the year after the Cubs won the World Series I'm pretty sure I remember that story but the thing people I think it's getting lost in this now is that the the Cubs are not interested in Grandpa Rossi, the caricature of 2016. Okay, when, can I just can, can I interject real quickly here before you go on? The fact that David Ross has a book and there was talk about of a movie. Well, he David, sold he sold the movie rights. I mean, David, this, this is a savvy dude. David Ross's story is not interesting. No, he's a backup catcher. That's all he ever was. Right. He was kind of good at it as a backup catcher. If he was your starter, you would have been livid. Um, he's just like his story is not that it's not like he came, overcame something or he had one arm or something, you know. Like he's just a backup catcher. I mean, the That's only thing was the only thing he overcame was the indignity that his first major league home run was off of Mark Grace. Yeah, That's the only, that was his biggest hardship. But when the Cubs brought him in in 2015, it was with it was with two things in mind. They they knew him. They obviously didn't have him in Boston themselves, but they knew him from there. And all the other teams he kicked around. At. He was also famous. He didn't get along with Dusty Baker, which is one of the reasons why I liked him. Right. Um, <clears throat> he had all, he had for a long time been one of those guys who were like, this guy's going to be a good manager someday. Keep an eye on David Ross. That was for years people had they talked about. They say that about every catcher. People had talked about that. Yeah, but I think the Cubs, I think in 2015, when he was terrible, and I, every time he batted, it was a completely wasted at bat. Yeah. The Cubs really appreciated the things he did. Like there's the famous story about in the, one of the first spring training workouts, um, Rizzo fucked something up in a drill and Ross demanded that they do it over again and like got in Rizzo's face and said, you know, you screwed that up. You have to do it again. And it seems like such a little thing, but I the guys don't do that very often. And I think there was this, this feeling around here that, you know, yes, he seems like he gets along with the guys. He's, he's, you know, he seems like he's always happy, but he's got an edge. I think that, he can I think, be he can be a hard ass, and it's hard to be a hard ass when you're a 190 hitting backup catcher. Right, but he still was, and I think that I think that's part of they've identified him a long time ago as a guy they wanted. Now people think of him now as well. He's on Dancing with the Stars, all that shit. What he was doing was he a you know the, the, he had perfect timing to to um, to be a popular teammate and retire, given all the attention the 2016 Cubs got. And he, this whole Grandpa Rossi thing, he's like six years younger than me, which is yeah. weird that he's Grandpa. Um, but so then afterward, he hits the, he hits the 
He hits the home run in game seven. He gets carried off the field. And then he did what every smart, recently retired player would do. He cashed in as much as he could. He never actually made that much. No. I mean, yeah, he's obviously comfortable. He's a big league player for a long time. He never had a big contract. So now he's got, he writes, somebody offers him a book deal. He takes it. His agent is savvy enough that even though they're never going to make a movie, uh, because it would be impossible to make a movie out of that, they sell the movie rights. He gets a check for that. Dancing with the Stars wants him. Why the hell not? He goes in Dancing with the Stars. ESPN wants to hire him. He takes that job. And so now people are like, well, you know, who's this clown doing all this stuff? It's like, well, no, this is a pretty smart guy who is right. cashing checks left and right that he never expected he was going to get offers for. So I, I think, think it's easy to get lost in this whole idea that, you know, they're going to hire the Dancing with the Stars guy. It's like, well, that's not what you're getting. My hope would be is that the guy you and I see on ESPN and, and, and during interviews when he was a player is not the guy they're hiring to manage. <laughs> that the, the guy they're hiring to manage is the one who keeps keeps the law in the clubhouse, which is what he did. Uh, and I, I'm guessing that's what they think they they're going to do. I'm, um, I but gave, like, oh, I'm I have sorry. no idea. That's the. I mean, I remember when the White Sox hired Robin Ventura. And you had all these Sox fans calling into the score and saying, well, I think he's going to do this. And Bernstein just explained to them, <laughs> you don't know. No. We don't know. He doesn't know. We have no idea what manager is going to be. We can't sit here and say, I think he's going to do this. No, we don't. We have no idea. No, and, I- and that's frustrating. You have to fill that gap in with bullshit. But you know, they hired David Ross. We're all going to find out together. I mean, to me, I've given up on trying to prejudge this stuff. Because I thought, I mean, Aaron Boone has won 100 games two years in a row. Right. And when he, he would do anything. No, and when he was on Sunday Night Baseball, I used to joke that it always sounded like he had just suffered a gaping head wound <laughs> every broadcast. And I just thought that was the most disastrous thing ever. And you could say, well, last year, his first year there, well, yeah, I mean, you know, team's going to hit 1,000 home runs. You're going to win a lot of games. Well, this year, that team kept falling apart physically. Right. Like just piling up with injury, and they just kept winning. So, well, that's yes, also that's also Brian Cashman who just yeah. kept producing these guys out of nowhere who could just mash homers in that band box they call home. You know, so, like, so I'm just gonna say that you know, I, I we, we don't I'm just just guys what you said. We don't know, right? And you could think that a guy's gonna be great, and he turns out to be a complete dud. I will say that the one guy who managed exactly the way I thought he would was Ryan Sandberg. Yeah. Was he's just a dude in the corner of the dugout and that's all I ever thought he was going to be. <laughs> I remember getting into a pretty like heated argument with my close friend of mine when the Cubs hired Theo and they were like Ryan, you're not getting this job. <laughs> you're just like the first thing they did was like or this was actually before that when like he went to go like they, they, he was out of the system. Like he'd managed the two the two minor league teams he'd managed, but they didn't give him the top job or whatever. And I was like, yeah, the Cubs don't owe him anything. No. And he's like, we may owe. He's like one of the greatest players. I'm like, well, they compensated him millions of dollars for that, and they gave him this minor league managing job because they were nice. Yes, they'd already humored him to their detriment twice. <laughs> right. When they let him come back from retirement and fucked up their inevitable acquisition yeah. of Craig Biggio. And then when he shows up one day and tells Jim Hendry, I'd like to manage, Hendry's like, oh, fuck, really? <laughs> yeah. All right, go to Peoria, wherever they sent him. You go there for a year. And and then he's, he's like, okay. And they're like, 
What? You said yes? <laughs> right. No, you're supposed to say no to that. It's like, oh, crap. Yeah, that's so, not the job you're supposed to take. Yeah. So now, so then the, he, then now he the job, job and it wasn't anything. Now the, job now the job they've given him, he's even worse at, is <laughs> to be team ambassador. You've got this, this painful introvert being put in these situations where he has to actually talk out loud. And it's just like the, it's my favorite sad. thing is they did that weird YouTube video where um, they randomly drew a seat and Ryan shows up with a helmet full of nachos to sit next to the person and split nachos with him. And everybody was uncomfortable. You could almost feel the camera guy cringing as it was happening. And I'm like, why do they do this to people? But we're going to get 24 hours a, a day of that when the marquee network launches. Oh, God, some of the programming on there is just going to be delicious. And they have no idea how many things are actually going to pick it up. No. Like, they have no clue. They're like, like, they ask, they're like, well, we don't, we don't really know what the distribution will be. Like, that's good. That's nice. So... One of the, I guess, the last thing here, uh, the, for those people out there who are like, um, I think, you know, because they've got marquee, there's gonna be more money. There, the payroll's gonna go up. Um, they might not have wanted to look at the financial news yesterday, where TD Ameritrade's stock went down like went down so much. Yes, that Joe Ricketts, the guy who was actually writing the checks for the Cubs, he he his personal value dropped twenty six percent yesterday. That's six hundred million dollars. Yeah. Now I know that's you know it, no, that that's still a, means that means a, you still have two point two, whatever two, billion. Two, he still has two point one billion dollars. Yes, but that's a rather large number, and I know it's a moving target, and it will go back up again at some point. But uh, holy shit! Yeah. I hope that was I'm, in my mind. I pictured like that morning. Now that now that I watch Succession, I just I picture that's the Ricketts to me. Right. All the incompetent scheming kids around the very grumpy old man. And I could just picture like Tom and Todd just outside of, of Joe's bedroom going, okay, now we're going to go in and we're going to ask for enough money so that we can, we need to go over the, the next right. threshold, the competitive balance tech. They, Maybe open, not they, they open the door, they start to tiptoe in. And then on the financial news, they see that the you know, TD Ameritrade stocks down 26% and they just back right out and close the door. <laughs> Maybe not today. Uh, Maybe, not, maybe yeah. today is not the... Uh, the day to do that. I, I, when I was doing comedy, I did a bit about this. It was when Jordan got divorced, and he had to cut Juanita a check for something <laughs> like two hundred million. Yeah. Now, if you're doing that, that means you have another two hundred million at least left. <laughs> That's still a bad day. Yes. That's still a bad day. I don't want to have to have that day. Um. Yeah, and, and and it came out today that like they're not gonna. They're not gonna say word one about what the payroll's gonna be. Like they're not gonna do what they did last year. Like they're they're just gonna remain silent, which probably means it's not going up very much, if at all. Yeah. Um, so we're just gonna have to like guess and synthesize what what they're actually doing. It's it's gonna be kind of an uncomfortable winter. But they don't have you know, it's not like the Red Sox where they can identify the guys they can call to bring the payroll down. They don't have those guys. No. I mean they could not re-up Contenna's option, but that's only like $10 million, and who cares? Why yeah. wouldn't, you know, like, that's... Yeah, okay, gonna, that's, that's another role you're going to have to fill for more than that. Yeah, right. You get you let him go, and then you pay somebody more to do his right. job. So, I mean, really what they're worried about is all the payroll in the future. You know, like, Zobris is leaving, Lester has one year. You know, Kimbrel? Like, who, who on this team really makes a lot of money? Darvish? Well, you're not going to get rid of him. No. He's good. Yeah, I mean, next year, two guys make all... Well, three guys make all the money. 
Lester Hayward and Darvish. Darvish. Yeah, well, find a way to get rid of Hayward. Make make that magic trick happen. <laughs> yeah. All right, Theo, if you're any damn good, <laughs> yeah, right. if you really want a Hall of Fame plaque someday, you need to tr- you need to convince Jason Hayward. to. T- you have to convince a team to want him, and you have to convince him to go. Well, I sort of wondered. See if you can thread that needle. I sort of wondered if they were going to try and thread the needle of some sort of one-year buyout for Lester. Where it's like, oh, he's bad now. We don't know that he might ever be good again. Can we just give him like three quarters of his money to go away? <laughs> like, you know, like, um, so I'm curious to see. Well, they, yeah, if, if you if they could find a way to make Hayward disappear, even if they had to pay like half his salary, that opens up some possibilities. Then you could have Castellanos. I mean, you'd still have a bad outfield defensively, but you could, fi- you could figure it out. Yeah, you could hopefully find. You might need to get an Olympic sprinter, but you would find somebody <laughs> somebody to put in between him and Schwarber and try to patrol all. Well, those that. things exist. Um, but yeah, well, then you could probably just actually force Jackie Bradley Jr. And they're like, hey, I don't care if you hit, yeah. but you're going to have to run between these two posts <laughs> all say, day. Say, Jackie, we need you to catch everything, and that's not that's not a euphemism. Right, no, you, we really need you to catch everything. You have to catch you, you need to go, the outfield. You need to go full Kelly Leak at the beginning of the Yankees game and just steal <laughs> balls away from your teammates in the outfield. Right. That's the only way this is going to work. <laughs> uh, so what happens now? What do you do with your podcast? You just do one for free agency and then well, what do you want to do here? Well, I mean, they're, they're going to hire a manager. We'd have to do one to talk about the manager. They're, okay. I'm sure they're going to make – when they, they make moves, I guess we decide, is it podcast-worthy? No, get, no, you decide. And given the – well, somebody's got to come on with me. I can't I, – <laughs> I did one by myself. I don't want to do that again. It's your bus. Oh, I'll be here. I got nothing to do. So I guess we just – given the, the high threshold, we can, we've proven we can talk about anything for an hour. Yes, we have. So if they do anything, chances are you and I and either of the other guys, if they ever show no, up. No, the other guys don't exist. They're not, um, they're not coming. We're going to talk about it for an hour. Okay. So Sounds I would good. guess we'll pop up with some regular frequency. Yeah, you know, we'll probably even if they don't do anything between the manager and the winter meetings, we'll probably do one before the winter meetings. Mm-hmm. And then if God forbid something actually happens at the winter meetings, we'll have to do one to talk about that. So Does anything happen at the winter meetings anymore? <sighs> uh Jesse Rogers thinks karaoke. I mean, I think if we unearth the collusion it'll be there. I mean the collusion is so like when the Boston Red Sox are like, we have to get under this. But I mean, what what's going on? What's really going on? Here? Yeah. I think there's, I think part of this is there, there are definitely owners who want to spend everything to have their team win. These guys always want to do that. Look at hockey. They put in, they fought so hard for the salary cap, they nearly killed the sport. And now every team spends up to and over the salary cap. Like, they, 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 there are owners out there, like, you know, I want to bring a World Series here. But there must be something where, like, the other owners will have you killed if you if you go over into the luxury tax. Yeah, the only the, it seems like the only penalties with the luxury tax that really should should stick are the ones where they start taking away your international bonus money and your draft money and draft picks, and but nobody ever stays in it long enough to get there. Right. So it's clear that it's it, it's been purely financial at this point. A bunch of billionaires sitting around going, you know, because I, I think it was Bleacher Nation showed if the if the Cubs spent at even just a little bit more next year, their luxury tax bill goes from four point four million dollars to six point six. It's like that. Even with TD Ameritrade losing twenty six percent one day, that's pocket money. 
So they what? can't they, they can't really be they, they can't really be the reason they don't want to other than they want it, other than they want an excuse not to spend the money. They just don't well, want to, th- they just don't want to spend the money. They're not worried about paying a penalty for spending it. They just don't want to spend it in the first place. I think the other part of this is that the owners who would go into the luxury tax are like, "You know what? I'm tired of having to pay this money that goes to Pittsburgh and just watching them pocket it." Yeah. So if someone's going to pocket it, I'm going to pocket it. Yes. Right. So they, you know, whatever the next CBA is, they have to institute something where whatever is forked over in revenue sharing has to be spent on the team, like a salary floor, yeah, a luxury floor. Um, because and and like you know, I'll never be a multi-billionaire, but like on some level, I I can totally understand. It's like, well, why am I forking over ten million dollars to the owners of Seattle? or Pittsburgh, or whoever, and just watching them take it. Like, they're just taking my money. Well, and so that, why don't I just keep my money? Right, and then the system is so fucked up that the Cardinals keep getting competitive right. balance picks. It's like, what what formula do you have <laughs> yeah, where right. a team with a half a billion dollar TV deal and pretends to pretends to get 3, fan, 3 million fans at their games, even though... Anytime anybody shows a screenshot of of them five minutes after first pitch, half the seats are empty. Right. How do they qualify for that? It's your formula sucks. It's borked. So, um, yeah. Well, that's another discussion for another time. Yep. All right. Well. All right. We'll see what happens. Good night, um, folks. Thanks for listening. Yep. All right. Well, thanks, Sam. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Yep.